You're listening to Brick by Brick, a podcast by the Brownstone Experience. I am Felicia, and I will be interviewing women of color entrepreneurs on the couch, where we will learn more about their products, services, and how we can support them. Enjoy. All righty. Well, welcome, Toya. Thank you for having me. Yes. I'm so excited to be here. Thank you for uh, accepting the invitation Absolutely. to be the May cover star of the Brownstone Experience. I am so excited to have you. This month we are celebrating motherhood um, and black maternal care. And Dr. Hughes, for those of you all who don't know her, can you introduce yourself? I'm Dr. Latoya Clark. I'm Mrs. Hughes socially, but professionally, I still go by Dr. Clark. And um, I'm a native of Mobile, Alabama, but working in Montgomery as a general practice OBGYN. Yes, yes, yes. So you are helping us deliver babies, take care of our bodies, all the things. I do all the things. I deliver babies. I do surgeries like hysterectomies, Mm. pap smears, birth control, I'm also specialized in addiction treatment, so I do a little bit of everything. Yes, all the things. So um, thank you for your service. You, it's a whole doctor right here. Yes, yeah, I love it. I love it. So I really want to share, uh, I really want to talk about the black woman's experience in the medical environment. Um, as we know, um, there's been a lot of bad statistics coming out about black maternal care, and it could have historically always been a thing, right? But as with social media we're finding out more information quicker sooner we get so much information coming towards us um and so I really just want to shine a light from your perspective as a black female a female OBGYN um why do you think some of these disparities are happening um out here but also how we can advocate for ourselves so that's what we're going to talk about today absolutely yeah so I wanted to share a little bit about who you are personally, um, because we are on the couch in this episode. So okay. we're both from Mobile, Alabama, Woo Woo, Port City. Yes, yes, <laughs> yes. Um, and like you said, you're practicing in Montgomery right now. Yeah. Um, and so tell us a little bit. You always wanted to be a doctor. I have gone to school with Toya since middle school. When you said you was going to be a doctor, you became a doctor. Um, and so you went to uh, Xavier, yes. HBCU. So let's pick up there. Okay. So I really think I was brainwashed into being a doctor. I don't know if I could take credit for that. All I remember my mother ever saying was she's going to be a doctor. And so luckily I did good in math and science classes. Um, But I did undergrad studies at Xavier University of Louisiana and then did medical school at University of South Alabama here in Mobile Mm -hmm. and then did my physician training residency at LSU in New Orleans. At LSU in New Orleans. Mm -hmm. Now, were you there doing Katrina? Yes, so Katrina mm-hmm. was actually my fourth year of college. and um, Xavier, flooded, undergrad, yes, Xavier, okay. Yes, so car flooded, lost a mm-hmm. apartment and everything, but was fortunate to have good people around me to help me bounce back, and so um, it didn't really deter too much. It didn't deter too much. Very lucky. Yes, yes, yes. Um, and so when you graduated medical school, when did you decide to go the track of OBGYN? So I decided to be an OBGYN actually while I was at LaFleur here in high school. Mm. Um, I don't know if you remember, but one of our friends, Nakenya, got pregnant. Mm -hmm. And she had some pregnancy complications and had to be induced. And she was at the hospital. And I actually got to go and visit with her at the hospital. And then her son was born on my birthday. And so it was like a big deal. Look at that. And I got to see how the residents and the doctors were taking care of her at that time. And that's what really sparked my interest in OBGYN. 
Um, and then I did a little bit of work with some midwives, and that's really solidified before I even got to college or medical school that I wanted to do OBGYN. That is awesome. I never knew that story. Yeah. I, yeah shout out to Nakenya, Miss Accountant yes. nowadays. Yes. That's what's up. Um, and she may not even know that, actually. Yeah, yeah, that is what's up. So you've been practicing now for how long or since when? So I've been out of residency now for nine years. For nine years. Yes. And so you've experienced, I'm sure, from all of the highs and lows. So I really want to highlight my training, which is well, we'll talk about it a little bit later. Um, training here at USA Mobile, it's a smaller school, but I feel like I got a really good training at USA, as well as when I went to residency, living in New Orleans, we saw a lot of everything. And so once I moved to Montgomery, I really felt like I had good experience with a lot of different disease processes and you know different things that happen, especially taking care of African-American women um, through their pregnancy. I had a lot of knowledge and a lot of experience, especially with high-risk pregnancies. Mm. So let's jump into, right, caring for African-American women during pregnancy. Um, what does that look like? You know, why does it look so different for us when, once we step into that, in, into that role of caring? So I hope everybody doesn't kill me for saying this, but, you know, maternity care really, if you're starting maternity care, Maternity care after you're pregnant, you're already behind the ball. Mm -hmm. We really miss an opportunity prior to getting pregnant to really have those good conversations about preventative medicine and getting in the best shape, the best health that we can before getting pregnant. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, with African-American women, we have the highest rates of obesity. Um, we have higher rates of hypertension, diabetes, and these pre-existing conditions that then make their pregnancy more high risk and so I really feel like we don't have a lot of conversation about preconception counseling so what mm -hmm. are the things that I can do before I get pregnant mm -hmm. we also miss the mark with birth control because we have a lot of younger patients that are getting pregnant unintentionally and then they're picking up prenatal care and then we're still behind the ball so you know my if I could say anything about how we can help shift this dynamic it's not always about the doctor. It's not always about your location, but it's about what are we doing to educate women before they get pregnant to get them in the best health that they can before they get pregnant. We do know that with obesity, we have higher rates of miscarriage, C-sections, preeclampsia, all those things that really increase maternity, morbidity, and mortality for African-American women. Sure. So with that, on the other end of the uh, spectrum, do you think that our overall health is affecting the fertility as well? Absolutely. Mm. Absolutely. So um, in African-Americans, we have higher rates of PCOS and um, fertility, um, excuse me, fallopian tube problems and those kind of things that we see. Um, again, that we missed the mark where we're not catching these things prior to pregnancy. Hmm. Um, and so once we are, once we arrive at the OBGYN and if we're pregnant, um, that is a different type of care than taking care of ourselves. How do we advocate for ourselves when we're not pregnant? So let's say for a um, I wouldn't say a majority, but a lot of us aren't necessarily able to go and pick a doctor that looks like you, that looks like us, right? Um, how? What questions do we need to be asking when we're looking around for our primary care provider wouldn't be our OB, I'm going to stick with that, when okay. we're looking for our OB, um, to make sure that we are getting the right education um, when we're not caring? Absolutely. So the one thing I would recommend is that look at where that physician was trained. If you're in an area where you don't have access to 
a specific type of doctor. The doctors that are available, look at where they train. Did they train in a demographic where the patients mm -hmm. look like you? Did they train in a rural area? Did they train where they only took care of one type of patient? And and that's going to be important because if you've taken care of African-American women through training, you'll be more aware of the things that African-American women are more prone to as opposed to if you trained in Maine where there's not a large African-American population, mm. you may not know those little nuances to pick up on. So look at where that physician was trained, how many deliveries do they do. You can look up if they've had any type of um, adverse reporting or adverse reactions. All those things are tracked for doctors. And, you know, in the world of social media, everybody has their opinion. So I would encourage patients to not necessarily go off somebody's experience that they went online to complain sure. about, you know, but really take the time to get to know where that physician is from, how many patients they take care of, and what type of patients they take care of. That is so good. So look to see if they've even serviced women who look like us absolutely so you're not being you know a test dummy or or one of the minority within their whole practice absolutely that is so good so once we are caring over now we found out we're pregnant um, and let again we don't have the opportunity to have a black female female OBGYN what are some do you still think it's is it still the same answer where they need to you know see where the um where the doctor has been trained or where majority of their experience is or how can they now a pregnant woman who is looking for a new because that happens right some of us don't find a doctor until we're pregnant mm -hmm. um, how can they walk in and advocate for themselves at the lowest level absolutely so one of the things is honesty so mm -hmm. the doctor patient relationship is going to go both ways so from a physician standpoint don't be afraid to ask the tough questions to the patient. Patients don't be afraid to ask the tough questions to the doctors as well, but we've got to have honesty. So if you know you have high blood pressure and you don't want to say it because you don't want to take blood pressure medicine, mm -hmm. or if you know you have some things that you've been reluctant to talk about with the physician, find a physician that can take some time to talk to you to really get to understand some of your concerns and that will listen to you. Mm -hmm. Absolutely, the doctor's offices are busy. Wait times can be long, but sometimes it may require you scheduling a second appointment to mm -hmm. go back and really get those concerns addressed. So honesty and open communication between the doctor and the patient is going to be very, very, very important. And make sure that you get somebody, again, that's going to listen to you, that's not just going to blow you off. You know, especially in pregnancy, sometimes there's things we just can't do anything about or um, medication use and stuff like that in pregnancy is really limited. And so sometimes I can't write you a prescription for something, but I can listen to you, talk to you, explain certain things to you, or explain why mm -hmm. we should try to just let this pass and not over-medicate during pregnancy. Um, and so you really want to find a physician that you can build a rapport with. And then um, I always tell my patients, it's better to be safe than sorry. So if something's going on with you that you think, oh, it's probably normal, but you're not sure about, just ask. Yeah. And if it's normal, if it's common, I'll say, hey, yeah, that's fine. It's okay. Yeah. Um, but don't be afraid to ask those questions. And if you have a physician where you don't feel like you have that connection um, with or you feel like that's not answering your questions, don't be afraid to get a second opinion. Don't be afraid to switch your physician. Yes, yeah, so a couple things you brought up for me. Um, that second follow-up appointment. Now, I know you can't speak for all doctors, but if I go in for a visit and I feel like I was rushed, what can I say to say I want to come back? 
Right. You can absolutely say, listen, Dr. So-and-so, I know I was here for my pap smear today, but I have a few questions that I really would like to just sit down and talk to you about. And they will absolutely schedule you a follow-up appointment. And if they Mm -hmm. won't, then that's not the provider for you. Okay. And then that's a judgment on whether that's the right relationship. Absolutely. Okay. I can dig it. I can dig it. Um, And then you also brought up for me um, honesty. Honesty, right? A lot of women are scared to be honest with their doctor, mm-hmm. uh, me included, right? I'm like, oh, are they going to judge me? So can you just share from a doctor's perspective some of the things without, like, taking it too far, right? Like that you hear on a daily basis that we we think we're scared to share, but y'all get it every day. Oh, my god, We open it up. Some <laughs> of the things that I've heard, I don't even know if we can talk about on the podcast. Okay. But, um... I mean, I've heard it from where patients are drinking casserole to put themselves in labor to where, you know, certain patients have been abused, unfortunately, or having uncomfortable interactions with people that they work with. And then we have the happy stories, too, and we talk about family and kids and and those kind of things. But um, most of your physicians have kind of seen and heard it all, and so um, we really try to approach patient care from a no, um, a non-judgmental standpoint. Sure. And so, um, even if you are a little uncomfortable talking about it, I guarantee you, most doctors are gonna listen to you and not judge you and um, help you through that. Yeah. So just get through it. Mm-hmm. Just get through it, so you all can help us. Absolutely. Yes. 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 I want to uh, talk a little bit about sexual health. Okay. Um, and the vagina. Yes. Why do I? Ha- I know you ain't got no problem saying that word. <laughs> and the vagina. Yeah. Um, what are some things that you think um, can help us to better take care of ourselves sexually? Um, our, our vaginal health. Okay. So I think the the um, uncomfortableness with saying vagina starts when we're real young, right? Yes. So nobody calls it a vagina. It's a pocketbook. It's a purse. It's a hoo-ha, it's all these other things except for a vagina. That's right. Um, And a vagina is just an organ, just Mm -hmm. like all of our other organs. It Mm -hmm. is an organ. Um, And my opinion for the vagina, less is better. Um, The vagina is self-cleansing, and so throughout the month, based on your cycle, your hormone Mm -hmm. levels, your vagina is going to do different things to maintain its own health. So you don't really have to do a lot. Um, Healthy diet is very important for vaginal health, but avoiding feminine hygiene products, even the ones that are organic or pH balance Mm -hmm. and all of those different things, they typically are not very helpful. Um, All women are prone or potentially could get yeast infections or BV. Mm -hmm. And so those symptoms are going to be very different than your normal symptoms. Yeast infections are usually going to cause more itching, more of a clumpy discharge. BV is going to have more of an odor. But a light discharge that doesn't have any odor, doesn't cause any itching, is usually normal. And that's just our body doing its normal thing. Mm -hmm. Um, You want to avoid really harsh soaps and antibacterial soaps for cleansing. Um, Some books would say use no soap at all, but Mm -hmm. most women are not going to follow that. But you want to make sure you pick a mild, non-scented, non-antibacterial soap. And that's really all you need. Uh, condom use, of course, you know, preventing STD exposure and those kind of things are going to be also very important for vaginal health. Limiting our sexual partner experiences is going to be important for vaginal health. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, less is better. Less is better. Mm-hmm. So how does that intermix with, with your sex life, right? So, you know, you, you hear, you know, always go pee after sex or, and then always, you know, shower then. How does that, because it, 
our pH can be affected by our sex life. Mm -hmm. Um, How do the two intertwine? How do we keep our optimal health? Well, I think you have to know your body, right? So mm-hmm. some women are more sensitive um, mm-hmm. to pH imbalances than others. And so I think you have to know your body. If you are somebody that's really prone to BV and yeast infections, mm-hmm. doing those type of things are going to be helpful. If you're prone to bladder infections, you know, urinating and cleaning up after intercourse is going to be appropriate. Um, also, with new partners, sometimes that new exposure is different. Mm-hmm. And so that may be more helpful at that time. You know, sometimes for women who are not very sensitive, they don't immediately have to get up and go to shower or go use the bathroom after intercourse. You know, sometimes mm-hmm. they just get to lay there and cuddle. Yeah. But you just have to know your body, <laughs> yeah. you know. And so yeah. you have to know what you can and can't, you know, um, can't handle. And if you're that person that's having recurrent infections, go mm-hmm. to your gynecologist. Mm-hmm get tested, get exams, and then they can also talk to you about some different strategies. Yeah, so it's a it's not a one-size-fits-all thing. It's not a one-size-fits-all thing. Because, yeah, you know, I'm again, social media and the Internet in general, you just get so much information Absolutely. that tells you it is a one-size-all-fits thing. So. No, it, it's definitely not. And I think, um, you know, Internet and social media, it's good and it's bad. You know, mm-hmm. I sometimes see things on TikTok that I'm like, oh, my gosh. And, mm-hmm. you know, and for some reason – patients will follow what Google says or follow what they see on Facebook or follow what they see Mm -hmm. on TikTok before they'll listen to my recommendation. Mm. Um, And so one of the things, for example, lotus births. I'm not a big fan of lotus births, but that's when you deliver the baby, but Mm -hmm. don't detach the placenta. Mm -hmm. And at one point, lotus birth was all over Facebook. And then all of my patients came in wanting to do a lotus birth, but had no idea what the potential benefits of that was or what the potential consequences of that was they just saw it on Facebook and it seemed like the new thing to do so I think we have to be really careful with what we put out on social media Um, if you're getting information off of social media look at the source because anybody Mm -hmm. can post something on Facebook or Instagram or TikTok is it a physician is it a licensed physician is it somebody's opinion you know um, you have to be really, really careful about the information that we're getting from those social media sites. And even um, there are some very trusted medical websites where you can get really good information from. But you also have to be careful with some of those sites as well. Yeah. Um, Lotus births. I, you don't want to know. I, girl, I thought you was about to talk about the flower and oh, the no. sex toy. <laughs> No. When you said the placenta, it brought me back. Yeah. It brought me back. Yeah. Okay, so they don't attach the placenta. And I wanted to talk next about being in the hospital. Just and- FYI, I'm not an advocate for a lotus birth. Okay, gotcha. I don't think it has any benefit. Does it? So are we don't doing it in hospitals that. now, or is that sort of a... Um, most of your hospitals, most of your pediatricians are going to shun away from lotus births. Um, that We see that more in the... Um, what we call the natural population. Mm-hmm, so midwives, the midwives, mm-hmm. the delivering at home mm-hmm. type birth situations. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I had one patient that tried that wanted to do a lotus birth, but the pediatrician wasn't then comfortable taking care of the baby with the placenta detached, and it really became a, a big deal. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We're going to change subjects, but okay. when do they take the placenta off? So typically the placenta is separated. Oh, you mean for a lotus birth? Mm-hmm, you mm-hmm. just let it fall off. So just like whenever the umbilical cord would detach. So okay. that's usually a week or longer after oh, the delivery. Okay. Interesting. Well, I have to go look at it. But I have no more kids, so we're going to bring it back <laughs> in. But that's all interesting. That's yes, all interesting. Yes, yes. So we're not we're, we're giving birth now, which okay. I, that's a good transition. Um, and it really saddens me, um, you know, to, to – 
talk about the statistics that are happening in um, black maternal health within the hospital. Mm-hmm. Not only are our babies dying, but we are dying in some cases. Um, I know when I recently had my three-year-old, um, my OBGYN in Dallas is um, a woman of color. And I told her, you know, we were in her office. I was like, I'm really nervous. You know, she was like, I know there's been a lot of stories, uh, you know, and, um, but I'm going to take care of you. And it helped that she looked like me, but I was actually nervous. Mm-hmm. Um, how, what are your, just give me just your thoughts on that. Um, from a physician standpoint, you have to be very, um, detail oriented and very vigilant about finding, you know, the abnormalities. So what may not seem like a elevation or elevated blood pressure to one person or somebody may say, oh, her blood pressure is 140 over 90. She's okay. Well, an African-American woman, that actually may be a telltale sign. That's not that high, but if you check her urine and she's got protein, if you look at her previous blood pressures and they've been nowhere close to that, that may be a warning sign that, hey, something's about to change in this patient. Mm. And so she may not have preeclampsia then, but you want to repeat that blood pressure in the next couple of days. You don't want to just send her home and have her come back in three weeks because she may have a, you know, a dead baby by that time. She may have had a stroke by that time. And so really making sure we pay attention to even the minute changes that's happening with our patients. Um, are they having a lot of glucose or sugar, um, as we call it, in their urine? Um, and then looking at their comorbidities and already knowing and have a suspicion in your mind that, hey, this patient's already high risk. She's got underlying thyroid disease. She's got underlying diabetes. She's, you know, overweight those kind of things that you have to already have that suspicion so that you're looking for any little thing that maybe says, hey, something may be kind of going left. And, you know, medicine's not 100%. You know, we wish we could not have anybody have any complications. And unfortunately, we're just not in control of that. But we can mitigate those losses and that mortality if we are just super, super cautious, super, super suspicious, and always making sure we check and double check for patients. Yes. And am I hearing correctly and what I'm interpreting? Again, it goes back to that training and familiarity with black women's Mm -hmm. bodies. If if they're just not familiar, they're not going to look for these signs. Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. And so, you know, you don't want to you don't want to treat anybody differently. Right. So you want to give the best care to everybody across the board. But in Caucasian patients, you know, a positive cystic fibrosis screen may mean something totally different than if you see an African-American, you know, patient. So you want to make sure that you recognize the different ethnicities have their own risk factors. So it's not just that um, you're only going to give really good care to African-American women and then ignore everybody else. No, that's not what we're saying. Sure. We're saying that you have to recognize the differences. differences in ethnicities, differences in background, what disease processes affect this population more, and being hyper hyper vigilant about recognizing those things and knowing how to manage those things. And I'm a big fan of, if I don't know something, I will call and ask. I'll get a second opinion. I am happy to get an MFM consult if there's something going on that Mm -hmm. I just feel like, you know what, I'm not quite sure about this. Let's get a second opinion. And Mm -hmm. that doesn't mean that I'm not a good doctor. That means that, hey, I recognize my strengths. I know my weaknesses. I know the things that I haven't seen very much. And so to be able to use our referrals and our resources around us to really help take care of the patient the best. Even if that means that I need to transfer that patient to a different physician, if that's what's in the best interest of that patient, then that's what we're going to do. 
Sure. So going along, you know, with the hospital, and you know, another thing that happens when you when you're in the hospital, you're now it's this whole new staff. Mm-hmm. You've built, hopefully, you've built a rapport with your doctor, mm-hmm. um, but now you're in the hospital with you know all of the nurses and mm-hmm. all of that until you get to ready to deliver. Mm-hmm. Um, do you feel like? Because again, I had another scare with my with Sage, my youngest. I'm looking around me and I'm kind of sizing up all of the nurses, everything, you know, from just from the experiences. Uh, are there questions we need to be asking um, when we check in? Um, or is it something that we just need to trust the environment and the staff once we check in to give birth? Um, so I'm going to say from a medical standpoint, I really feel like most of your nurses and most of your doctors are there to take good care of patients. Yes, you absolutely. know, um, it takes a lot of sacrifice and a lot of commitment to work in the medical field. And so it's not that we need to go into the hospital being suspicious of everybody okay. or being um, weary of everybody, especially if we don't get an African-American nurse, if we don't have an African-American doctor. But ask the questions. What was my blood pressure? What medicine are you giving me? How does my baby's heart rate tracing look? If you're having an unusual pain, speak up about it. If it doesn't get addressed, ask somebody else. Um, especially with nursing staff, there's always a charge mm-hmm. nurse. If you feel like your personal nurse is not taking good care of you or not answering those questions or not addressing your concerns, ask to speak to the charge nurse. But again, I think in most situations, we're all there to take good care of the patient. So I don't want women to go into the hospital fearful. You know, yeah. giving birth should be a magical time. It should be a, a very... Um, blissful time you know and so you don't want to put all the anxiety and the angst out there um but again just you know you can do tours of the hospital most places now post-covid are allowing women to come in and do tours of labor and delivery so you can see where you're delivering you can see the rooms you can meet some of the staff that's there ahead of time um and that may be helpful for you so that when you go in, it's not just completely brand new. You right. kind of know that mm-hmm. area. You've met some of those people. Um, and so that may be helpful. But um, while you're there, ask those questions. And, again, don't have that mindset, well, I don't want to say anything because I don't want to get on their nerves. Mm-hmm. They're there to take care of you. And so when you have a concern or you want to know something, just ask. Just ask. Mm-hmm. I love it. Just ask. So go in. We can educate ourselves mm-hmm. prior to. We can have that relationship with our doctor. We can equip ourselves with um, enough knowledge. Uh, look, all I saw was like a notepad. Like I want to go in with the questions that mm-hmm. I can ask. Um, mm-hmm. And we can do that yes, because absolutely. it's our bodies. Um, it's and true. Mm-hmm. I was going to say through, you know, maternity care, you have nine months usually of mm-hmm. these appointments. And honestly, with your OB appointments, the main thing is we're checking mm-hmm. baby's heart rate, we're checking baby's growth, we're mm-hmm. checking blood pressures, mm-hmm. but that is a great time to ask those questions. Put them in your phone, write them down on a piece of paper, mm-hmm. and bring them into your OB appointments because those appointments typically are pretty quick unless yeah. you have a lot of other medical problems or something like that, but those are the great times, and that's what those prenatal care appointments are for, so we can go through these questions so we can have a better understanding before we get to that delivery process. Awesome. So my last question, Mm -hmm. um, those of us who are fortunate enough are also um, building 
uh, birthing teams now. Mm -hmm. So we're hiring doulas mm -hmm. um, and midwives and mm -hmm. whatnot. Um, and that seems like a great source of support to have with you. Um, I've also uh, read things where we're encouraging birthing plans. Um, what are your thoughts on that being a medical professional? I tell my patients birth plans. The longer the birth plan, the faster the C-section. <laughs> and it, it's, it's kind of a joke, but, you know, mm -hmm. sometimes when we try to overplan the situation, you mm -hmm. know, Mother Nature's in control of OB, and it's very unpredictable. So mm -hmm. sometimes when we come in then with these really long itemized birth plans, nature takes us in a totally different direction. Yeah. But I think there is a place for everybody. Mm -hmm. The doula is there really to be more supportive and more coaching. And then the midwife is actually more medically trained that can actually do the delivery. But again... With the midwife, midwives can't do surgery. And so you need to know if you're going to deliver with the midwife, who is that midwife's backup? What is that doctor's training? What is that midwife's training? How many deliveries has she done or he done? How many um, adverse um, outcomes have they had? You know, and so um, when you're picking those support professionals, you still want to be very um, knowledgeable, knowledgeable about their background and what they've seen and what they've done, as well as when you're picking the doctor, because sometimes with midwives, they don't, you know, you come in for delivery, and if your midwife's not available, you get stuck with whichever physician's on call. Mm -hmm. And so you just want to make sure you take the time to get to know those support persons just as much as you know, you know, the doctors. And so um, the doulas, again, are, are there for more support and coaching. They're not really there for a lot of, like, medical to advice intervene. as far as, like, management, those kind of things. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So a, a doula seems to me to be a much more um, accessible um uh, help or source of support. Mm -hmm. um, I didn't know that the midwife could intervene medically. I didn't know that. Yeah, so the midwife can actually do the delivery, and they can, um, some of them are trained to do repairs. Um, some of them actually see patients in an outpatient setting, too, and do the prenatal care and those kind of All things. All of it. Mm -hmm. hmm. They don't do surgeries, though. So if you end up needing a C-section, um, they can't do the C-section some of them may or may not feel comfortable doing operative deliveries with either forceps or vacuums. And so sometimes they'll call in the doctor to come in and do those things. So you just have to um, know that particular midwife's experience. Um, also, state law kind of guides what some midwives can't do. So, you, you know, whatever state you're in, you want to make sure um, that you know the capabilities or the um, uh, procedures that that midwife that you've chosen is allowed to do legally. To do all of that. So do your research mm -hmm. yes. as well. Well, this has been good. Thank you. I it's very informative for me. Absolutely. I definitely hope that um, you guys get a lot of good tips, um, rather, no matter what side you're on of pregnancy or even taking care of ourselves, taking mm -hmm. care of our bodies, know our bodies. Is Prior key. to pregnancy. Prior to, to pregnancy. Getting in the best health we can. Getting in the best, best health we can, which could be a whole other episode. Hello, but we ain't going to talk about that today. We're talking about motherhood. Mm -hmm. I'm so, on that same journey. <laughs> best health I can be in as well. Yes, 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 yes. So thank you again, Toya. Thank you for having me. We will continue and talk about entrepreneurship and your entrepreneurial journey um, in the next episode. Okay. All thank right. you for having me. You're welcome. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks for joining. If you enjoyed this episode, please rate, like, and share so that others will learn about Brick by Brick by the Brownstone Experience. You can also learn more about our guests by going to our website, The Brownstone Experience.